The following audio is from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This was probably the first like medical trial that I've had personally in quite some time where uh, I was at the Boys and Girls Club. We were getting, I was there meeting with the, the staff, say, hey, I want to help out with the kids and coaching basketball, ironically. And my friend that I was there with, he played basketball a long time ago. I played basketball a long time ago. Now, he still plays on and off. And he said, man, I could take you. I could take you. Just wait till we play, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just smoke right by you. I said, I don't think so, little man. So we started playing. And, uh, you know, I was shooting everything. I was making everything. I was winning. That's what's important. That's the moral of the story. No, that's not the moral of the story. Um, but I, I, wasn't, I made two threes. I drove to the hole twice. He couldn't stop me. And then I just made this move. We hadn't stretched. I was wearing, I think, like very similar outfit to this. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear this pop, and it feels like somebody whips me in the back of the leg with an Indiana Jones whip. And I go down, and I didn't, like, scream. I was like, something's wrong. Like, my foot was just not moving. And I tried to move it. wasn't responding. So I reached down, and where that Achilles is, there was just nothing there because it shoots up, I guess, when it pops. And, uh, and the guy I'm with, yeah, I hope he comes next service so I could make fun of him to his face. Um, <laughs> he says, he starts just getting emotional. And I'm like, dude, I, I need help to my car. Like, something's wrong with my, my ankle. And he goes, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. And I was like, dude, God's got a plan. Do you think he didn't know this was going to happen? you think my Achilles tendon popped and God was like, oh, my gosh. I just did that. Um, I only need one. And, God wasn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard. He's not caught off guard by anything that's going on in our lives. And, and I, it's funny to me for two things. One is three weeks ago, I made fun of people that get leg injuries and have to scoot around on those scooters. For those of you who are here, you remember that sermon. So now I can't get one of those out of the principle of ego. <laughs> so you got one for me. It's probably not my height, man. If I used your scooter, I'd be going in circles. Anyway, um, <laughs> The, the, the second thing is, is that God's grace in, in anything where you have to change your life, and especially in, in suffering. Now, don't, don't feel too bad for me. Um, this is the first time in my life I've used pain medications beyond Motrin and Tylenol. So I'm having an okay time. Um, <laughs> but what I need you to understand is, and it's important for today's message, is when God is, is shaking up our life, it's because he loves us and because he's trying to, to guide us through things and because we always end up stronger. Um, well, actually, that's not always true. You can, you can end up stronger or you can end up bitter. And in this case, when I, as soon as it popped, I was encouraging this guy. When I was at the hospital, I had just shared, uh, I, was, I was out that previous morning walking around Apollo Beach praying and sharing the gospel with people with one of my friend's churches down there. And then I go to the ER at St. Joe's South. I've been there many, many times. They know my name. It's like my cheers. And uh, not for me, for my children. And I walked in, and usually there's like less than five people. There was over 30 people in the ER. And I was already on this buzz of, man, I've been sharing the good news of Jesus all day. So I just took it as my personal responsibility. Like, this is a little mini church service. There's actually somebody related to the chapel that had visited the chapel multiple times next to me. Like, when they wheelchaired me in, they wheelchaired me next to someone who goes, Pastor Ryan, and I look over my shoulder thinking, oh my gosh, those who get injured together stay together. And, uh, and I took selfies and stuff with that, that person. She sent it to her dad who will be here next service. But you guys, God loves me. God loves me a lot. I thought that I loved my wife and understood how much she loved me before this. My wife, 
there's a whole different wife that I have at home. She's got four kids plus and me. That's a lot of people. And she's just relentlessly serving. And, uh, and this all comes about, and this is going to tie in. So, so open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. As you might guess, I'm going to be a little less mobile today, uh, mostly because my crutch dropped. But in Mark chapter 7, verse 14, we're, we're continuing this story of how change happens. Uh, if, can you raise your hand if you've ever wanted to change someone that you love? Okay. Just making sure. I didn't want you to say if you've ever wanted to change. Um, I can't, I'm just going to say this now in case I forget. This book is my favorite book on changing. It sounds really simple. The title of the book is You Can Change. The reason I love it is because in religion, we often try to coerce people into changing using shame or guilt or fear, and that's not God's way of getting people to change. Um, and, th- and the reason I love this book is because it really pushes into the goodness and the graciousness of God to get us to change, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. But if you wanted to look at this book, you can take a peek at it. It's going to be up here um, all, all morning this morning. Let's pray, and we're going to jump into Mark seven fourteen. Father... I thank you that you would allow my Achilles to rupture. I thank you that you would that you would bless me with a season of seeing in a new way how much my wife uh, loves me and sacrifices for our family. Lord, I thank you that you would bless me in a new way to, to show me how the church family rallies to help and serve. Lord, I thank you for the for the young man who was mowing my lawn yesterday. Lord, I thank you that you ruptured my Achilles tendon heading into summer so that I get out of lawn service for at least three months. Lord, I thank you for the way that I'm going to be sidelined, which means that you're about to raise people up to do things. You're going to raise people up to share the good news of Jesus at places where I'm not going to be going for a little bit. And I'm excited, Lord. I'm thankful for that. Lord, this morning we're looking at heart change. We're looking at how and where sin comes from. This, this S word that we talk about so often in churches. Lord, help us get to the root of it all. And not just, not just skip off the surface. I thank you for the way that you love me. And giving me such a glorious injury as this. Help us all to see your favor in the midst of good and difficult situations. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, Amen. You guys should have seen it. Eric brought out one of the big reclining chairs, and he was going to force me to sit in that. He was telling me, he was like, you will sit in this. And I said, put that away. I've got daddy issues. You don't talk to me that way. And I got a stool. That's what he gets. Where are you at, Eric? Where's he at? Is he teaching? Oh, hey, I see you. Don't bully me. Or I'll pull the victim card. <laughs> and he called the people to him again. This is Jesus. And he said, hear me, all of you, and understand. This is important. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Because last week, the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And the Pharisees said, your, your guys are not following the rules. The religious rules that we have, your team is not following. And Jesus says, look, it's not what you put into yourself. That can't make you defiled before God. It can't make you unclean before God. And then in verse 17. Well, I might have missed a verse. Verse 16. No, verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see 
that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart. This is good. (laughs) But it enters his stomach and is expelled. If you're a middle schooler, that's funny. That's Jesus making kind of a poop joke. Then he declared, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Now here's the terrifying part. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So every affair you've ever heard of started internally. Every uh, cheating scandal like the big Enrons or the little tax fudgings start internally. Every time someone has stolen something, it began internally. Every time someone was plotting wickedness or something deceitful, it, it didn't start just on a whim of externalities. It began in the heart. And this is what Jesus, Jesus is trying to get at for us today. So the question I have for you is, how do you change the heart? I know how to change physical behavior. I know how to change external behavior because I'm a parent. There's a way that you can get your children to listen to you. Parents, how do you do it? What do you do to get your children to listen to you? Uh, Jared's like, put your hand down, Austin. Do not confess our sins. <laughs> what, how do you get your children to listen to change their behavior? What do you do to your children to get them to change their behavior? Fistophobia. Fistophobia. You start counting. If you're a good parent, you count backwards instead of forwards, right? Because you find like lazy parents always count forwards. They go one, two, three, three and a half. If you count backwards, you have to get to zero. So that's what I do with my kids. And there's no point five. It's just when I get to one, zero's next. And you don't want to tussle with the broken muscle. You turn off the Wi-Fi. You, you discipline them. This is what we do. We discipline our kids, and it changes their external behavior. My kids will not do things at this age because they're afraid of me in some level. It's a healthy fear. I'm not like going around hitting people with my crutches yet. The interesting thing about behavior modification is that it never lasts. You can change your behavior for a little bit, but when, you're, when the perceived pleasure or reward you think will be greater than the punishment you oftentimes go through with something. So we have to understand what Jesus is saying when he says evil comes from within the person. Then we ask, how do we change our heart? Some of you have sang the songs, right? The Inside Out. Anyone remember that song from the 90s? The Inside Out. That was a big thing. We have to understand that if we can't change our heart, anything else that we do is just surface level. It's a it's similar to, to what's going on now. Um, anyone here had a leg injury with a big cast where you, have to, you can't bathe it, you have to trash bag it, right? Um, I am not built for baths, okay? I'm six and a half feet tall. There's not baths. There's the bath in our house, I mean, it's big. It's like a jet tub. It's got a little shooter, whirlpool. Not built for it. Um, I'm not supposed to get this thing wet, so I trash bag it, and I'm, I'm trying to bathe. Now, here's the thing about baths, and I've always thought this with my children. I put my kids in the bath. They get all clean, and then you drain the water, and you t- kind of use a cup to rinse them. But when they're, whenever they're getting out, 
I'm looking at all the stuff that's going down the bathtub. Have you ever looked at this after bathing a child? I don't know how the water is that color. And then it kind of goes down, and you ignore it because it went down the bath, and you don't see anything. And then you fill up the bath again the next time, and then someone takes another dirty bath, and then the next time, and then the next time. And before you know it, it's mostly invisible, but your bathtub is disgusting. It's at that point where you can scratch the stuff off, the soap scum. You could scratch off the human scum from your bath. Now, when you're injured, I'm not going to be cleaning this bath, but I noticed, I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to be in this bath for the next two months. I better take care of this place. This is my new zone. Now, religiously, we do this very poorly. We often clean just enough so that people don't see the dark stuff. It's like when you're rushing to clean your house when people are coming over. You know what people always forget to clean? The top of the fridge. And I see it. <laughs> you clean the handles. You clean the windows. And I see the top of your fridge so I know how dirty you really are when no one's looking. Unfortunately, this is what we do with religion. We clean everything. And we think because someone can't see it, it's okay. Our heart is the top of our fridge. If you want to change your heart, you have to do what the Bible calls repent. We know this word. It's a church word. Most people think it means a, maybe a change of behavior. But if you're listening to this passage, Jesus says it's not a change of behavior. It's a change of desire. It's a change of what's in your heart. It's a change of what you're believing in. So there are four things today, and I don't have a slide, but I will post them on the Facebook and perhaps send out an email or a text if somebody bugs me enough. And they're from this book and from other things that I've gone through in, in my life. If you want to repent and change your heart, you have to remember four very deep truths. Are you ready? First one. Everyone say it after me. God is great. great. Second one. God is glorious. glorious. I'm going to explain that church word in a little bit. Third one. God is good. good. Last one. God is gracious. gracious. These are the four G's. Now, I know that we're only on 4G for a little bit longer here because AT&T already started 5G, even though it's pretend. God is great, so we do not have to be in control. The psalm for this, if you want to have a psalm to pray with each of these themes, the psalm for this one would, would, would be Psalm 27. If you are a person who loves being in control, you need to remember that you, need, you can repent of your need to control things. Because God is truly great, you are not as great. People who are controllers and who have the sins that fall under the umbrella of control, we do things like anger. Because if you get angry enough, you can control someone else's temperament or disposition. Those of us who are fretting uh, constantly, who are trying to manipulate things to get them to be under our uh, jurisdiction of life, we're doing it because we want to be great. Now here's the amazing aspect of this. God wants you to be great, but you are never going to be as great as God. God created you to govern and subdue the world. God created us to take the raw things that he has put on planet Earth and to cultivate it and make beautiful things for the good of humanity. Things like crutches. I am so grateful for crutches. I would be grateful if somebody created comfortable crutches. Um, I know what some of you are thinking. They created a scooter. Not going to happen. When you are fighting 
to control things. If you're that person that's, that's angry all the time, that's manipulating all the time, maybe you lie to get, to get control of a situation, remember and remind yourself, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. He is great, and He is all-powerful. As we sit here right now, there are uh, tr- hundreds of billions of, of galaxies and, and hundreds of trillions of stars in the universe. There's, our world is spinning around in a circle faster than a basketball. And that world that's spinning around is flying around the sun at magnificent speeds. And we are sitting in a room with air conditioning. We don't feel a thing. None of us are motion sick right now. If, it, if we traveled at the speed of light, we'd reach the moon in two seconds. We'd be traveling for two million years to reach another galaxy. And God says, you want to know how big and great I am? I hold this all in the span of my hand. I'm inside and outside of time. When you think that you're powerful or that you're savvy enough to be in control of some situation, remember, I don't have to be angry at this person to control them. I don't have to manipulate this person. God is great. God is in control. And as we said last week, God's got this. Now, these are all going to tie together because the second one is that God is glorious. Now, that's a church word. Glory means weighty, important. He gives us worth. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the consequences of something else taking over our life because God's greatness and God's glory are for us. Psalm 31 is the psalm to read if you want to just percolate on God's gloriousness for you and for me. Here's the interesting thing about fear. Um, my kids were afraid when I did this little thing. They were crying and sad. Is daddy going to die? Has daddy ever had a surgery before? Because mommy's had surgeries, so here's the weird thing. Apparently, mommy can have surgeries and come out of them just fine. Mommy, you know, she had brain surgeries. They don't get scared. Mommy goes to the hospital like, see you, see you tomorrow, mom. Dad goes to the hospital with a little ankle injury, and they're like, he's going to die. I don't know what that says about my disposition to medical stuff. But but with God's gloriousness, God's weightiness, God's importance, God's substance of, of realness, we don't have to fear. Bad situations can come, but the, the texture of God is with us. And let me explain this. Um, when we forget that God is glorious, when we forget that he is high and lifted up, when we forget that he is glory on a throne, we try to sit on the throne. God's greatness is talking about his expansive sovereign nature. God's glory is talking about how, uh, how in charge he is, how, where he sits, his placement. And this is why we don't have to fear if God is glorious. We don't have to fear because if he is a good God, which we're going to look at in a second, and a gracious God, which we're looking at last today, we can trust that his expansive greatness and his position of authority is for us so we don't have to fear. What is the worst thing that can happen to us? We could get injured. We could die. That's probably what some of you are thinking. Death is the worst thing, Pastor Ryan. Death does not have the last word. Jesus says, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. Death is not victorious over Christ. Losing your job, might be afraid of that. Separation from a spouse, the death of a child. These are things that, that I think many of us are afraid of. And many of us maybe give warrant for, for some level of genuine fear. But if God is great, glorious, good, and gracious, 
If God is still on the throne, even when bad things happen, it changes your perspective. I could either look at something like this as a super huge bummer that I have to crutch my way through for the next three to six months, or I can say, God, this is amazing that you would lock me up in a bedroom. This is amazing because I'm going to get to finish so many books that have been on my waiting list. I'm going to get to see a side of my wife I've never seen before. Last night she was, uh, she's been working so hard, she just fell asleep, couldn't wake up. One of my kids tried to wake her up. Usually she pops up like a daisy. Jackson came in and said, I think I have a fever, and he was crying. And Amy was like, I looked over at Amy like, you're going to do something? She didn't look back at me. So first I checked her pulse, and then I got with Jackson, and I crutched around getting Motrin, went down to check the dishwasher because Amy told me that was leaking again. Thank you, Whirlpool. Never buy a whirlpool. That's a side note of anger. I don't have to be angry, though, because God is great. God's going to get things accomplished in his time for his purpose, and he's going to shape us along the way. I don't have to be afraid of surgery because the worst thing that can happen to me is I wake up and see Jesus and not you guys. You may think, ah, you're just saying that now. Wait till you're really scared. I will wait till I'm really scared. One day it will happen. One day... Something will happen, and perhaps fear will truly grip me. You know, Jesse and I, we have this thing. We, we just talk about dying and seeing Jesus all the time. We're both fairly young. You know, Jesse, how old are you, Jesse? Jesse's 30. He is like a baby. I have a 30-year-old brother whose diapers I changed. I could have changed your diapers. That would have been awkward. It's going to change, I'm sure, when I'm 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, when something scary happens. But if I don't set in now the faith that says, I don't need to be afraid because God has got this. He's in charge, and he's in charge everywhere. If I don't start planting the seeds of that faith now, when I get there, there will be nothing to, to gird me up. And it's not faith in just the idea of God. It's faith in the fact that he's proved it through Jesus. He is glorious and in control because Jesus died, took the keys of death, and rose again. We don't just put our faith in the resurrection as a mental exercise. We put our faith in the resurrection as a historical fact. But let's get on. God is good. If you want to understand goodness, you can read Psalm 94. But because God is good, we don't have to look elsewhere to find goodness, to find satisfaction in good things. Do you guys remember the song from the 90s? Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every good. It was GCD, like every song in the 90s in churches. If God is good, we don't have to look elsewhere to find satisfaction. We don't have to look elsewhere to find meaning or joy. All good things are wrapped up in knowing Jesus. The invitation of the Bible is not some dreary abstinence from difficult things or from things that will give us fun. It's a call to find God and find in Him the things that truly satisfy our soul and being truly satisfy us. Someone got me a gift today. I don't know where it went. They brought me a big old bag of Dove dark chocolate. Does anyone love Dove dark chocolate? Oh my goodness. I will not share with you. Mom, wherever you have that bag, I hope she left and took it with her. Don't share with people. Dove dark chocolate is my thing. Right now there's a bag of them on my nightstand, um, which is very bad because I can't move. So um, it's going to be, I'm going to have to, yeah, never mind. And I just keep eating them. 
And there's something for me about Dove dark chocolate. You can get me other dark chocolate. Hershey dark doesn't have the same effect. But whatever they put in Dove dark chocolate, it's like creamy, perfect amount of cocoa, and it just melts. Like they almost fused it with butter. I put them on my tongue, and I will gasp out loud. I'll, I'll, it, it takes a minute, and your mouth heats it up, and it just melts, and it just trickles down my throat. And I'll usually be in bed go, oh, man, that's so good. And my wife just knows, like, I'm just eating dark chocolate. We have, all of us have things like that. Things that, that they feel like this must be goodness embodied. This must be joy embodied. And it's interesting for me to think about the fact that every single experience we have here in this life is a shadow compared to what we will experience seeing God in Christ Jesus. The, the most amazing dark chocolate here will not compare with the glories to come. The most amazing meals or experiences will not compare. It's like sunsets. Um, you know, people travel all, all around the world. They go to beaches. And most people like sunsets, unless you're like a Satan worshiper. When you see a sunset and you're there taking in the whole experience, it's amazing. You can feel the breeze of the ocean hitting you. You can smell the salt water. You can hear some birds and some kids playing and the, the crash of the ocean along the sand. And the colors light up the sky. Now, many of us, because we're Floridians, we know this. Have you ever seen someone like from Iowa stand on the beach for their first time? It's, it's breathtaking to watch their breath be taken. People who grew up and the only ocean they've seen is one of corn stalks. Stand before a true ocean. Now we take it for granted. We take the ocean for granted. But it's, imagine if I said, you know what, instead of going to see a sunset, I've got something amazing for you. Check out this Polaroid I took. With those, I'm not talking these new Polaroids. I'm talking the ones that those of you who are my age and older know about. Kids, they had these things where you would take a picture and it would shoot out a a copy of it. I think they're becoming cool again, actually, for like the kids that wear tight jeans and have curly mustaches. Um, <laughs> they would, if I said, if I said, I'm going to give you a house and you get to choose, you can have a house, same exact house, your dream house. You can either put up this Polaroid on a wall or we could put your house right on a secluded ocean where you had everything you needed, but you had the majesty of the living ocean in front of you. Most of you would choose the ocean. I mean, we live in Florida. That's why I can confidently say that. There might be some people, mountain folk, like, give me the smoky mountains. That wasn't an option. It's a Polaroid on the wall or a panoramic sun opening of the true and living ocean. We'd choose the ocean. In Christianity, we too often choose the Polaroid. We settle for cheap things that don't actually satisfy. We think that they will, but they don't. You know, Jared and Kit are teaching this class about uh, pornography and, and puberty and these types of things because the church has done a terrible job at talking about these things that God has made, and he's made them good. But they're not going to give us the meaning we're looking for. When Jesus encountered the woman at the well, he said, go get your husband because he knew she had been searching for meaning, searching for intimacy, searching for worth, searching for joy in intimacy, in relationships with men. Now, any woman in here will 
probably say a hearty amen when I say if you're looking for identity in men, we will let you down. Amen, sisters? Even if you're looking for it in your own husband or husband's looking for your identity, worth, or value, or intimacy to satisfy your soul and your spouse, it will always let you down. The woman at the well was looking for her worth in men. It's a bad way to go. Some of us do it looking for our worth and identity in our children. The schools that they get into or don't, the sports that they excel at or are terrible at, the amount of obedience they display or don't, the, mu- the instruments they can play or not. Now, if you, if you are trying to find the goodness and the sweetness of life and the things that God created and not God himself, you're settling. You're settling for milk chocolate instead of dark chocolate. You're settling for a Polaroid on the wall instead of a panorama of the ocean. The only way to, to get out of that addiction is to repent and say, God, I'm sorry that I've looked to other things to give me satisfaction more than you. I'm sorry that I've made other things the ultimate pursuit of my life. And, it, and usually it's not bad things. It's not like we're in here and we're like, you know what? I'm not going to murder. Instead, I'll worship God. It's, you know what? I've been leaning too much on this to give me a sense of worth and acceptance in the world. Lord, I repent. That's a wrong belief. I'm going to believe that you are good, that you are glorious and great, so I don't have to be in control. I don't have to turn to these things for my joy because you give me greater joy. I don't have to be afraid of what other people will do because I know that you're on the throne. The last one is that God is gracious. Probably my favorite one of the four. God is gracious. At that moment, and the woman at the well, Jesus is offering her water. She said, you want me to get you some water? You don't have a cup. I'll get you some water. He said, no, no, I'm here to give you water, living water. Living water, water that can satisfy you and change you, comes from Jesus alone, comes from God's grace. God is gracious, so you don't have to prove yourself. The psalm for that is Psalm 103. In the story of the prodigal sons, there's two sons. We know the younger one's story if you're a church person. There's a father, and his, sons, his younger son said, Dad, I want my inheritance. A Jewish father could have said, I disown you for asking such a question. Basically saying, Dad, I'm ready for you to die. Now, maybe you're different from me, but I used to think that when I let God down, I would have a bad day or that my prayers would go unanswered. I think that I, I figured God would act that way because that's how I act when people let me down. And I suspect that's how you act when people let you down because I have Facebook friendships with some of you. God does not act the same way we act. Thank Jesus. God doesn't give you the cold shoulder. My first thought when I went down with my Achilles tendon rupture was, man, that was loud. My second thought was, this is part of God's plan for the day. The thing that I told the guy, because he was crying, taking me to my car. I was injured. He was crying. I said, this is part of God's plan. You need to see that, and you'll be okay. He felt broken up all about it. God doesn't, isn't waiting for you to beat yourself up. God isn't giving you the cold shoulder. You know, I used to think that I could atone, I could make right my life. If I had had a, a bad choice, that I, w- I would just feel bad enough and beat myself up enough. And say, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. 
Or maybe you'll find yourself in a situation that I think most of us have been in. You're doing some habit over and over and over again. You're thinking, God, I will never do this again. Lord, I promise this was the last time. And you're lashing yourself with guilt and shame, only to find yourself falling into the same pattern again. It's because you don't yet get God's grace. I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just letting you know that if you want to change, you've got to get all four of these in alignment. God is great. God is glorious. He's great, which means he's everywhere. He's glorious, which means he's in charge. He's good, which means he's going to give you the best thing for you when you need it. And he's gracious because he is not here to give you the cold shoulder or turn away from you. You cannot feel bad enough to make God say, now I accept you. That's not what Christianity is. Though we act that way. We act as if our feeling bad enough is is finally going to make it so God says, now you've lashed yourself enough, you can be mine. No, Jesus' death on the cross did the job. That's all that we needed. Nothing more, nothing less. And just like the prodigal, the younger brother, the Father's waiting for you to come home. Some of you have been distanced from God. You may know, yes, God is great. If this thing goes down, I'm going down with it. You may know God is great. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you're like, yeah, I get that. God is big. He's everywhere. He's in charge. God is great and glorious. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you might get some of that. If you grew up in the non-denomination church, you might get that God is good. He gives good things. One of the most terrifying facts that I've come across and realized, though, is that most of us don't talk about how gracious God is in a way that actually produces change. Yeah, great. I'm saved. I get to go to heaven. No, he's so gracious that in the midst of the, the sins that you have right now, your control, not just your big, not murder, not adultery, the fact that you want to control situations, the, tra- the fact that you're afraid of everyone around you's opinion of you, the fact that you're afraid that you'll never measure up, that the sins internally, God says, I see all of those things and I'm waiting for you to come home. The father says he saw the son and ran to him, lifting up his robe. Now, most of us will fall into one of the two camps of the sons. Some of you sin greatly. I think that's all of you. But some of you know it. Some of you are the older brother, where Christianity for you is a joyless duty, an anxious performance, or it's full of proud comparisons. Well, I'm better than them, not as bad as them. Does God love me? I'm not sure. If I don't do this today, maybe God will punish me tomorrow. That's religion. That's not the gospel of Jesus. This is where the graciousness of God changes us. When you know that you can go to somebody and they will love you no matter what. Some of you have a taste of this in marriage. I've seen that marriages go one of two ways in my experience, although my experience is limited and young. Marriages tend to get sweeter and sweeter with time, like a great bottle of wine, or they tend to get funky, like a half-open box of Welch's grape juice. It's because the seeds that you've planted grow into something, one way or the other. In religion, you're going to be under the pressure of trying to prove yourself to be in control, trying to not be afraid by being this fake boldness upon you, trying to enjoy life by making the things that are good, ultimate things that replace God in your life, we're all going to mess up. 
But to have someone like God being gracious in the way that he is in this story, to say that even if you are at the bottom of the bottom, I'm running for you. Even if you're going to sin when you leave these doors, I'm running after you. Even if you're going to be the joyless one, like the older brother in that story, anxious, proud, God says, I'm going to leave my party and come out and invite you in. God will be with you no matter what you're going through. And some of you are already thinking, well, then I'm just going to go on and sin. And you don't get grace just yet. You might not quite understand the depth of it. Because when you understand how much this love is, it ties you to someone with an affection. The reason why I love showing grace to people is because it ties them with affection to me in a new type of relationship. Some of you have experienced that with me. I pick on some of you often. But I'll tell you what, if you came up to me today and said, this is what I've done this week. I've stolen. I've, I've hit something. I was shooting out words and hatred. I would try to be like Christ was toward me and say, I love you. You're forgiven. Not because of my words, but because of Jesus' death and resurrection. When you get that, that's what repentance is. And then it goes up that ladder. God loves me this much. That is truly good. And he gives me good things to enjoy. He's on the throne, so I know that his grace will never run out. His grace has no end because he is great. Is that going to be you today to change from the inside out? Because if you don't, you can hide it for a while. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from your kids. You can hide it from your spouse. But it will begin to rot. It will begin to change you. I pray that you would turn today. Turn from your belief that something else is greater than God. Turn from your belief that something else has more authority and is more glorious than God. Turn from your fake and cheap belief that goodness can be found in things better than God's goodness can be given to us in Him. Turn from your fake belief that God's grace has an end. God's grace has no end for you. His forgiveness knows no bounds. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that we would we would just rest today. That we would rest knowing that you're in control. That we wouldn't have to control and be angry or afraid or anxious because you are in charge and you're in charge everywhere. And you are good and you forgive us when we fail. Help us. Help us to sit in these truths. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.